Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. I do need to confess something, though. Brian Fromm is playing hooky, as the kids say. I don't, I don't think kids say that anymore. But uh, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, or wherever it is you get your podcast, if that is you, if you like, subscribe, and review, all of that somehow does mystically, magically actually help us. And uh, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. But in Brian's absence... And he's always so intimidated when we have guests because he's always like, you bring in the smartest people. <laughs> and today is no exception. We have in the studio, Jenna Perrine. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Ian. So my guess is that plenty of people listening will know who you are, but plenty of others may not know who you are. So what, could you just introduce yourself however you see fit to the people that are listening? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, hi there. My name is Jenna Perrine, and I am... Originally from Belfast, Northern Ireland, if you catch a little of that in my sound. Um, I am a mental health therapist, I'm an artist, and I am a um, ministry professional pastor. Um, and I love talking about art, psychology, theology, um, and really enjoy any opportunity to get out of the house. Because I now have a three-month-old baby who is <laughs> awesome, but uh, this is just a nice kind of break from mothering right now as well. Well, and everything that you just listed are like my favorite things to talk about. So just so we have a public record of it, I made her promise to come back before <laughs> we even started because there's just no way. Let me just let you know briefly when we asked for talking points, she included psychology and theology, mental health as a Christian and lament, arts and theology, church commitment to beauty, to express sacramental life, brain science and liturgy. Like these are things I just cannot wait. So if you're just joining us, uh, don't go anywhere because this next hour is going to be, I think, fantastic. So I want to, <laughs> I want to kind of get into your head first a little bit because I think what is helpful for people is to know the person behind these interests. So, mm. like, how did you? That's a pretty interesting list of interests. How did that come to be for you? Oh, such a question. So I, <laughs> I, th I hope I think you know, and I hope listeners uh, have some paradigm for the Enneagram. So this was like a big life saving thing for me mm. um, at a key moment. So I'm a four, and I feel like identity for a four is like my life journey that I'm going to keep exploring. Mm. Um, so I grew up in Northern Ireland and in Northern Ireland, these things were not readily accessible to me. And mm. um, so talking about mental health, especially was not something that was like on the periphery. So I had my own mental health struggles as a teenager and as a young adult. And I just thought I was going crazy or that I was mm. disqualified from the church or that my desire to be an artist uh, that create like, 
contributed meaningfully to the church was not going to go anywhere because I couldn't figure out how to feel or how to be who I was in a meaningful way. So that kind of started this quest of I need to like look into these things and care about them for myself. So I uh, ended up moving to the States to study uh, theology and Bible and along the way realized that the thing I wanted to bring into the church the most was a meaningful discussion about mental health Mm. and I'm an artist at heart, and so trying to do that in a creative way right. and in a beautiful way matters. And so it's that's sort of the beginnings of it, yeah. So what, what do you think, this is an impossible question to answer, by the way, so here it goes. What does the church get wrong about mental health? Oh. <laughs> Which is, again, a big sweeping... Totally. Uh, well, to start constructively, I do feel like when you study this, the development of mental health, it did used to be taken care of within the church. Before we had the mental health counseling field and Freud, people would go to the church for their soul questions. Mm -hmm. I think that the quality of care they were getting from the church historically started to decline because Mm. we made it more about uh, sin management than maybe like soul management, like how do we care and tend to the soul. So when mental health started to rise, people were excited to go somewhere else other than the church. And that's part of what I think we got wrong. So today there's this... new assumption i think that oh i need to get better somewhere else before i can come back to the church so the church is not that safe haven or that place where i can come with my mental health struggle or a broken heart or grief i somehow need to go get fixed up somewhere else um, and i'll come back to the church later and i think that conversation's improving but i do for me that was a big part of it like i had this assumption that i needed to go get fixed so that i could come back and participate as a whole person gosh well i remember even really the first time i started learning about theology like at a scholarly level yeah i would have professors say hey uh what paul is writing here or what solomon or jeremiah for that matter like they're arguably depressed absolutely suicide. and i was like wait what how have i never heard any of this yeah. so i began to realize uh, scripture does not hide these stories at all of people mm-hmm. in deep dark despair and yet the church seemed to be intent on yes. like hiding or shunning or shaming mm-hmm. or kind of prescribing like some really bad theological truism yes. and i'm curious like what what have you seen like done well then in that regard totally i think that the church is so um desires to share the good news and the gospel and to point people to resurrection Mm. um, that we forget that in order to participate in resurrection, we are a part of this paschal mystery where we're going to participate in also the death of Christ and his resurrection. And so that putting to death is all these good, beautiful things of seeing people in scripture hurting, crying out to God, Mm -hmm. um, having to be at war with that thorn in the flesh. Like there's this whole process of sanctification and dying that is part of the Christian life. Yeah. So my, my the big thing I always talk about is the practice of lament that is in scripture. I, I love to tell people it's God's idea. I promise it's yes. in scripture. I didn't come up with it. Right. At the, like a, almost a third of the Psalms, like if the Psalms was a playlist on Spotify, a third of them would be <laughs> these laments, these sad uh, crying out to God, yes. expressing your anguish kind of songs. Um, and we, as Christians, can, like David, like these other psalmists, like writes uh, laments and, and practice making our implicit pain explicit mm. before God. That's so good. Instead of repressing it or hiding it or pretending to the church that it's not there, God's actually given us this beautiful paradigm in Scripture for expressing pain in His presence. That's right. That's actually one of the things that I'll often say is that God would rather we yell at Him than leave Him. Yes. Right? That, like, lament and grief and sorrow brought before God is as much worship as anything else we do. And yet it feels like so often the top 40 like worship hits that are often sung in churches, none of them are anywhere close to lament. 
Do you uh, see that happening elsewhere? Is that is that something uh, that we're getting better at? I, I mean, first of all, just completely agree. Like it's always <laughs> up into the right, right in worship, of course, of course. Um, and and I, I for me at least as a congregant in a pew, that was not always attractive. There were mm-hmm. Sundays where I would come in, and it would have been completely appropriate to have a slower, sadder. Um, less completely resolved songs sung. Right, um, right. And, it, you know, as an advocate for arts, it doesn't always have to be sung worship. It could right. be spoken word. It could be um, just even having art in your church that is um, depicting grief and all these difficult mm. things that we wrestle with as Christians. Um, but I do think that's something that we really can have more of, need more of. And I'm starting to see artists, like, encourage it a little bit more. Like, okay. maybe there's one sad song on the album these days. <laughs> it's like the, the it's record like labels track, are letting right? us have one secret track. It's the EP, really. <laughs> right, right. If you get the extended play, then maybe you can experience the sadness. Yeah. I'm curious. That's kind of all right. So that's a good teaser because I want to ask you next, uh, how do we actually create language that communicates the value of lament and sorrow within our sacred spaces, because I feel like so often it comes down to a bottom line. Mm. And if what you're saying is true, and I 100% believe that it is, often I think that's met with, yeah, but our people don't want to hear that. They come here to escape, right? So we can't bother them with lament. The world's already sad enough. Totally. And the statistics are against you because, again, quick plug, today is Mental Health Awareness Day for the whole world. And the statistics are against that. People in our pews statistically are struggling just as much with depression, anxiety, a whole host of different mental health things, and they're still Christians. That's absolutely true. Amen. Well said. All right. Well, I think you all are probably seeing now why I'm so thrilled that Jenna's going to be with us (laughs) for the entire hour today. We're going to continue to talk mental health and lament and brain science and psychology and therapy in the local church. And I think at the end of that, you still have hope for it all. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about all that next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is, let's say, gallivanting. <laughs> I'm going to assume, I'm not really sure what that word means. Let's just assume that's what he's doing and he's having a great time, but he'll be back next week. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, wherever it is you get your podcast. but I'm so thrilled to have in the studio, incarnate, right here, right at AM 1160, Jennifer Ryan. And we're talking about mental health and lament. We're going to talk about therapy and counseling and brain science. But you, I actually think this is worded perfectly. You, you wrote, what are some of the biblical tools that can be used in church and in therapy to recognize the range of emotion and the need for healing? I, I so want to know your answer to that question. Yes. Well, so we were talking a little bit about this already, but... My first go-to is to say lament. Lament is God's idea. It is an incredible practice in Scripture and that we can use for healing. And I believe in this so much. um, And I got to kind of workshop and develop a lot of this content um, when I was working at a community called The Practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, uh, as a therapist, I would get to a place with my Christian clients in particular who wanted to feel all of these things, but still wanted to be a Christian. And I would always say, you can do both. Like, this doesn't disqualify you from God's presence. Let me walk you through how to write your own lament. So I uh, have done teaching on this and have created a resource on this um, that I love to give away for free all the time to therapists, to individuals, to churches. And I'm like, use this, teach your people, like hold a workshop on this, like write a I used to have this dream of, you know, 10 people in a room, everybody would write their own lament and then we'd share mm. it like a poetry workshop. Mm. And it's really fun when that happens. I just did that, actually. It's, oh, it's beautiful. It really like is. to ha- Even to have a, like a sad dinner where everybody comes over and uh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be sad. It can be beautiful, but where that. somebody shares like what they've written. Um, so very quick plug. If you go to jennaperine.com, yes. I'm giving this resource away for free, especially in light of 
at Mental Health Awareness Day. I just want churches and Christians to have this resource as a way to express before God the things that they're going through yes. and to do it in a biblical way. That's so good. And to, to say the best thing about lament, you start in a place of pain, but you end in a place of appropriate hope. Mm. Um, and it may take you a long time to write it. You may not sit down in one sitting and be able to you know, go through this complete healing journey all at once. But it is beautiful to see when you read laments that they, they often start with a lot of honesty and yet mm. they end with this affirmation of trust. Yes. Yet you're still God. Oh. In the midst of all this awfulness, yet I will trust you. Come on. That's so good. That's, and I, was, I actually had a professor that really, he's an Old Testament scholar, mm. but he uh, specialized in the Psalms in particular. And even when he talked about Psalm 88, the, mm-hmm. the saddest chapter in yes. all the scripture, he would call it. He said it doesn't even necessarily end with any hope, but it begins with yes. this cry to mm-hmm. God, showing mm-hmm. some sense of, God, I don't know what you're doing in the midst of this, yes. but I'm still going to direct it toward you. And mm-hmm. for anyone that was just scrambling for a pen, Jenna Perrine, that's J-E-N-N-A, P-E-R-R-I-N-E. We'll put that on the Facebook page. And I'll mention it like 12 more times <laughs> this hour, if that's okay. Absolutely. But the other thing, though, that's so unique about you, though, is you also see a great value in integrating art into these expressions, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about like sacramental imagination. Can you talk about some of that significance? Yes. So my husband and I, my husband, John, is um, an Anglican pastor, and we have been on this long difficult, joyful journey into the Anglican church. Um, And it started with liturgy and kind of uh, where could the arts be expressed in a way that was still connecting with our hearts. Mm. So we both went to, you know, Bible school together and then seminary together. And I feel like most seminarians have this difficulty where they start to go to church and they stop connecting as much with it or they're only engaging with their head and they don't know how to engage with their heart again or their Mm. body again and so for me the arts are this uh, and we see this in psychology as well the moment you start engaging artistically that right side of the brain the entire body and whether that's dance theater um, physical arts uh, design like all these beautiful things video like there's some incredible beautiful Mm -hmm. videos being made these days um, there is something about the arts that accesses um, theology in a different way, mm. brings it to life. So for me, I'd already spent, you know, like four years in lectures. Right. I loved the lectures, <laughs> but I was like, I don't need to go to church for more lecture. Mm. Um, so to me, I was like trying to figure out where can I get more beautiful experiences? Yes. So the Anglican church uh, is not the only church that does this, but we find there kind of this uh, engagement with sacramental imagination and sacrament in a nutshell it's kind of like holy mystery. Like, mm-hmm. how do we have imagination around the holy mysteries of God and his scripture? Yes. Um, so just very simply, church history used to do this all the time. I, I grew up in Europe. I went to a bajillion cathedrals growing up. <laughs> and they had great imagination to mm-hmm. be like, what would the Last Supper look like? Let's paint that. What would heaven look like? Let's build a cathedral that points to that. Right. And they would partner art with these beautiful theological truths all the time, even if they got it wrong. You know, they would gesture at it. They imagine it and see. So I'm all for encouraging Christians to uh, use the arts and their yes. imagination um, to imagine like what what are these beautiful realities right. like? And again, to talk about lament, lament is how do you imagine what this tough reality looks mm. like? But the arts are very important to me and I love promoting them in the church as much as possible. That's so good. I remember when I was first learning about the transcendentals yes. in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. right? Truth, goodness, beauty. So yes. truth is sort of your doctrine piece yep. goodness is sort of your ethics piece and then i remember reading about beauty thinking i don't know anything about this one like i was really <laughs> handed the first two yep. at least growing up in sort of a midwest evangelical mm-hmm. expression which they did really really well yep. but no one had talked to me about like the actual value the theological oh, significance mm-hmm. of beauty it was mm-hmm. like beauty's nice 
if you have extra time yes. or extra resources, if you can like afford to pay an artist. Like, do you see some of that where like beauty's nice if you got the bandwidth, but don't worry about it? Oh, totally. Really? You know, you see it historically as well, like mm. that move, you know, after the Reformation to kind of say, we're going to strip down our churches and make them as naked as possible. Like, it's, you know, you're going to walk in right. and it'll be four gray walls and we're going <laughs> to dwell on Christ in our right. brains, but how dare we look at him anywhere else? <laughs> and I, you know, I, I laugh, but I was that person once upon a time no that was kidding. like, I don't understand the art. I don't understand. And, um, no uh, and, you know, honestly, there it was growing up in Northern Ireland. There's a big split between Northern Irish Catholics and Northern Irish Protestants. Mm-hmm. And I grew up as a Protestant, not really knowing what that meant. But it, I was very fearful of the Catholic Church, didn't know how to engage mm-hmm. the good parts of it. And I only knew how to talk about the negative or the frustrating parts. Yeah. So becoming Anglican was this kind of uh, via media middle way between mm-hmm. Protestants and Catholics where I could start to, like, let myself appreciate the art a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of re-engage, like, actually, I might be a little tired of a completely blank space. Right. Um, there was a great pastor who talked about how sad it was in some ways when America in particular started to, you know, purchase malls to yeah. repurpose for churches. Right. Um, and it's great that we have the wealth and resources to celebrate God in that way. But a mall was not ever built with the intention of God in mind. Mm-hmm. And so we can repurpose it. And there's a beauty in that. Uh, but there is sometimes you walk into these new spaces and it could be, you know, an office building or it could right. be a church. And that is there's something that has been lost in that. Yes. And so trying to uh, bring beauty back into the church, you know, I think the old church would laugh at us and be like, what do you mean? We <laughs> used to be the best artists in society. <laughs> right. oh, that's so um, and now we're struggling to have it be as big a part of our architecture, our painting, our right. creating, you know. Well, and sometimes, unfortunately, it feels like Christians are almost the butt of the joke when it comes yes. to artistic expression. Like, or oh, the worst Christian movies. Music. Or yeah. the worst movie. Right. Any of that. Like, it's almost a punchline. Yes. And I remember really learning about sacred spaces and, like the Quakers, you mm-hmm. know, historically had very plain, very ordinary. Yep. And learning that cathedrals, like you said, yes. were meant to evoke this wonder and awe. <laughs> but the Quakers built their spaces to evoke sort of the communal nature of yes, God. I'm yes. like, oh, they both have value. Absolutely. But when when we do one at the complete dismissal of the other, mm-hmm. then it's sort of like, that's when we get lopsided. Absolutely. Right? And that middle ground is, you know, my favorite thing these days. I'm probably too pursuing the middle all the time. <laughs> um, but I really do love the idea that um, we're, we're going after awe, just having awe of God. And yes. it doesn't need to be a cathedral or an incredible... Um, you know, my husband and I really loved, we were in Barcelona and went to see like the beautiful, uh, like I'm blanking on its name right now, but just like the, the grand uh, cathedral that they have there. And we were like, this is phenomenal. Mm. But the best part of it was that um, artists throughout the ages were allowed to bring their art for that time to Mm. the cathedral. So it started off Gothic and by the end it was very modern and it looked different with each age and it didn't have to always be this one thing. So that collaborative, it could look Quaker, it could look Catholic or Anglican. Anglican or right. whatever it is, but beauty matters. Um, and I'm saying this to beauty in the comments. So there's a sense of <laughs> it, just finding it where you are. Yeah, that's that's so good. Well, that other voice you're hearing is not Brian Fromm. That's Jenna Prine. And she's going to stick with us for two more segments for the rest of the hour. We're talking art and the mint and psychology and counseling and therapy. And what does it mean to be the church in an age that is so distracted by everything, it seems? So I'm going to pick your brain about a whole list of things coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, Brian Fromm is MIA, but you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, or 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, and all the previous shows are there, and you can 
listen at twice the speed, which I don't know if I should be insulted by that or not, but a lot of people do it just to, <laughs> you know, get through it as fast as they can. But that other voice you've been hearing is Jenna Perrine, and she is talking about all sorts of my favorite things. <laughs> and the thing that I think I've been most excited today to talk to you about is brain science and liturgy, this mm-hmm. idea of embodiment and does these, do these liturgical expressions have any impact on like our physiology at all? And that's something that I know that you love talking mm-hmm. about too. So why don't you just walk us through the stuff that you're learning and experiencing? Okay, well, let me start off by saying um, liturgy was something that took me a little bit of time to warm up to. And so the reason mm-hmm. that I even um, have you know, any research on brain science and liturgy was before I started to worship like an Anglican or even be open to liturgy in my spiritual life, I kind of needed to figure out what is going on here because I grew up with a lot of suspicion towards it. And my fear was that it was dry, dusty, um, and I didn't know how to actually understand how it was worshipful. So uh, as a therapist and a psychologist uh, nerd, I was like, okay, there's got to be something going on with the brain with how these things work. So I uh, find it very rich and meaningful. I love sharing the insights. And I basically have a big three that I go into Mm. with people. um, And the first one is to do with repetition. So if you've been in a liturgical church and you're following like an order of uh, worship, you'll see that, you know, every week they pretty much do the same thing. They repeat it over and over again. And this, by the way, is not just true of, you know, more traditional churches. You know, any church has a repetitive kind of thing that they're doing. Um, but repetition is this beautiful, important thing in the brain. And I, when I teach this in a workshop, I always talk about like make a fist with your right hand and look at it like it's your brain. Mm. And if you were to look at your brain from the outside, it would be very gray. But if you open up your hand and look at your palm and pretend that we've like unspooled your brain, mm. um, you would actually see a lot of white matter. And that white matter is called myelin. And it is the connective tissue in the brain that helps us um, transport thoughts and make connections from one part to the other. Mm. So when we have very little myelin in our mind, it's kind of like a a line of dominoes. Like you you touch the first one and it hits the next one and the next one and the next one until we get to our conclusion. Mm. So the first time you do something and you've never repeated it before, like confession, like kneeling for confession, um, you know, you really don't have a lot of white matter around that part of the brain. It's completely new. The more you repeat it, it stops being like a line of dominoes. And I always say it starts becoming more like Nightcrawler from the X-Men where you teleport from one part to the other almost instantaneously. You don't even have to um, trigger as much of a a pathway in the brain. So it's faster. And why this matters, as the nerd part of me always has to like (laughs) calm down, is that uh, the more you repeat something, the less of your brain has to be used to consciously concentrate and the more it's freed up to be creative and to engage the moment in a different way. So people always are like, I have my best ideas when I'm brushing my teeth or when I'm in the shower. Like I love being creative in the shower. And I'm like, well, like that's because <laughs> you repeat that ritual so often that you don't even have to think about it. Wow. You know, you're reaching for shampoo, but you're thinking about, oh, I just had the idea for how I'm going to get, you know, this pitch to work at work. Right. Um, and that's because there's so much white matter that it's um, instantaneous. It's freeing up beautiful brain space to work on other things. So the church is awesome because it started to incorporate repetition and its worship patterns in such a way that when you go to church and people say, okay, let us pray, you bow your head, you uh, put your hands together, and it's like getting you into a state of prayer where you're repeating something and at the same time, your brain is creating more space to actually uh, dwell and think about God and yes. theology and deeper things. It's a beautiful thing. So that's wow. the, the first one. It's like repetition and myelin. Love it. The second one that I love to talk about is um, embodiment. And 
if you've been to a liturgical church, you'll notice that they get you to participate a lot. You do not get to just like sit and watch (laughs) as much. And that freaked me out initially. I was like, why do I have to read that? Why do I have to stand right now? Um, And I just felt like this is your job. Like you're meant to be (laughs) leading me. Um, But over, so I I did a dive. I was like, why are we doing this? Mm. And uh, what I saw is that embodiment in church, um, the use of our bodies, the use of our participation where we're standing, kneeling, bowing our heads, closing our eyes, um, or reading aloud corporately as a group. Mm. It's using this beautiful principle from psychology called the enactment effect. Mm. It's a very simple principle that just says um, when you do something, you are far more likely to remember it and to internalize it Mm. than if you simply hear it or if you simply see it. Um, I'm going to totally butcher this, but I always make a joke that when I was like (laughs) researching this, I find this poem by Confucius. And I used to, I put it in the talk and I showed it to my husband and he was like, why is Confucius in your talk? <laughs> and I was like, he's a church father. Like, why wouldn't I quote him? And he was like, no, no, Jenna, you need to do some research on him. <laughs> but it has prevailed because he basically uh, teaches this enactment principle very well. And it's something along the lines of, um, I hear and I forget. I see and I understand, but I do it and I, I never forget it. Like wow. it's always a part of my life is wow. kind of the beauty of it. So again, I, I see such wisdom in the church that they, from a bring and science standpoint, we're like, let's get our bodies involved. If yes. we just sit and talk at our people, um, they're going to forget it. And especially when everyone did not have a Bible or right, access to right. the word, they had to get creative. So let's read together. Let's have you all stand in moments mm. of respect and honor, like when the gospel about to be read. Let's yes. have you kneel in moments of contrition, like confession. Um, and then let's have beautiful, um, like I love this part in our service every week is when the gospel is read, the person who's reading the gospel walks it in and among the people. Yes. So all the other uh, readings from scripture kind of happen from the front, but because Christ is incarnate and because he became one of us, on. uh, the gospel is always read among us. So the word come, becomes flesh among us once again. It's that's very so cool. Good. So that's a beautiful part of embodiment, like actually bringing physicality into our theology. And I love that. Um, and then the final thing I love to talk about is silence uh, and solitude. There were all these parts of the liturgical service that I didn't understand where we were very quiet. And mm. uh, maybe there would be a silent moment for confession. Um, and maybe even outside of a worship service, I was trying to become more spiritually formed. And there was all this encouragement to, you know, take a day of silence and solitude. And I didn't understand right, why or right. why that would be helpful. Right. Um, and another principle from psychology that really helped me understand this was mindfulness and Mm. I always say mindfulness is having a moment right now like there's a hundred apps on the app store that help you be mindful that help (laughs) you do this and uh, basically you know to cut a long story short there's two brain pathways that are very important to know about on a day-to-day basis there's the narrative pathway which is uh, where you think about stories and you're kind of you know going a b c d f you're like going through a process and then there's the direct network and the direct network is just you being present in this moment so mindfulness Mm. is helping us switch from the narrative network to the direct experience network. And when we're in the direct experience network, we calm down, our amygdala shrinks, we experience Mm. less fear. We're able to be uh, much more present to our senses. And again, we're more creative than when we're in that narrative space. We're problem solving in the narrative and we are um, relaxed and open to new solutions when we're in the direct network experience. 
So again, I think church history is quietly smiling because they're like, hey, our people are constantly yes. in the past or in the future. They're going, going, going all the time. Let's slow them down. Let's have them be silent. Let's have them switch over to the direct experience network through silence and solitude um, and even deep breathing, centering prayer. All these practices are beautiful ways to access that kind of mindfulness headspace. And once you're there, you're able to experience God in a very different way than when you're listening to a lecture. So we can't be silent all the time, but you should find moments in your day, in your week, in your worship, where you're able to be silent Mm -hmm. in that direct uh, experience network. And there you encounter God in a beautiful, different way. See, I feel like, too, if people had been given what you just said earlier in their childhood, they wouldn't have felt like they had to run away from it. Right. I meet (laughs) people all the time. I had a lady who's like, you said meditate in the sermon the other day, and that makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. I was like, let's talk about why. Totally. You don't have to be afraid of that word. And I think, gosh, not to oversell, I think honestly what you just shared is going to be absolutely transformative for people mm. who have never heard any of this before to know you don't have to be afraid of it. In fact, it's like built into our physiology to actually help us mm-hmm. encounter the divine, which I think is just, just lovely. We've been listening to Jenna Perrine, and she's going to stick around for one more segment And we're going to talk about maybe all of this again. (laughs) Let's just repeat all of this for anyone that's just joining us. For the brain science. Right. All of that. Exactly. That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. I feel like all of our rejoin music has been so positive, by the way. (laughs) It's on a random loop. Yeah. The irony of like talking about like lament Mm. is that every one of the songs has just been at 11. It's been ridiculous. Why not? I I wish I could say that was strategic. It was not. Uh, That other voice that you're hearing is Jenna Perrine, and she has a website. I want to make sure that you know about this website because there are some free resources there. That's J-E-N-N-A. P-E-R-R-I-N-E dot com. We'll probably say it a couple more times if that's okay, but please (laughs) go check it out because I just think you have a wealth of wisdom. And we were talking about this when you got into the studio too, that you just became a mama like three months ago, right? Oh, yes. It feels both like yesterday and an eternity. (laughs) So. I think but, every mom is just cheering you right yeah, now, like, like yes. What? And I, yeah, three months in, and I'm on the radio. You can do it too. It's possible. <laughs> you just need to lose your That's mind. Perfect. <laughs> in uh, the process. Well, one of the totally. things that you're actually engaging in, then I think this is such an important conversation, is mental health in a season of mothering. Something that I, you know, having kids for the first time, yes. I'm now getting a front row seat to even some of the conversations that my wife is having. Mm-hmm. Stuff that I didn't know anything about, to be honest. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that new effort there? Yes. Well, and honest, you know, just real talk uh, as a mental health therapist and a first time mom, I feel like very vulnerable wading into this space because I Mm. keep feeling like I need to present in a way that it's easy, that I'm totally on top of it, that (laughs) nothing has affected me. And that's just not true. Mm. And the more I lean into that, the more I keep thinking I probably need to talk more about it to um, I can't just keep lifting stigma. And that's, mm. you know, I've always had that desire to lift stigma, pr- stigma for mental health in the church. And now I feel like I want to do it from mothering because it's this Love new it. like branch of my world. Um, so all this to say, we have a beautiful baby girl. Her name is Hazel. She's three months old on Tuesday. And, you know, we, we prayed for her. We waited for her. We had a, you know, a beautiful pregnancy with her. Um, praise God. It was mm. not um, that difficult, but 
I just remember we basically did a lot of hard things all at once. And by the way, if you didn't also do these things while you had a baby, it was still a hard thing. So it's just like to give context. (laughs) But we uh, moved from the suburbs back into the city. We started a new job at a a new church location within our diocese. Um, I left a job. We packed up our house and we like physically took all those boxes to a new space. We changed communities and it was all these good things. It was like we were giving birth to so many good things Mm -hmm. um, that I thought, oh, surely this has all got to be all joy <laughs> and uh, her middle name is joy and that's actually been like a big me- like meditation and thing mm. i think about every day is joy is not the same thing as happiness yeah. um it's a it's really easy to confuse those things yeah. and she like being a mother does not always make me incredibly happy in fact a lot of the days and um, there's a lot of anxiety a lot of uh, we were talking about this beforehand like decision uh, par- like paralysis we were yes. like what do I do I really don't know um, and a lot of tears not just her tears my mm. tears yep. and I have almost been seizing all these other mothers around me like lifelines being like number one you're amazing and I don't think I told you before I had a kid but now I think you're even more amazing and number two how often do you cry because I feel like I'm crying (laughs) a lot and it's been amazing to start that conversation because uh, moms are great and the majority that I've been uh, pulling into this conversation are really open and However, I wish had been more open before I'd had the baby. It felt like Mm. I was talking all the time about uh, the labor and the pregnancy, but I was not getting to talk a ton about what comes after the delivery, Mm. like the struggle of breastfeeding. It's like a a conversation with your child that does not always go well. And I was like, I feel like we're yelling at each other. I feel like (laughs) this interaction is really stressful and hard. Um, And so... Again, all this to say, as a therapist, I was aware categorically of things like the baby blues and postpartum depression and mm. postpartum anxiety. Um, and I thought, I've got a toolkit. Like, I know how to use all these things. And I'm just going to, you know, ninja my way out of having to struggle with these things. Right. But, you know, if, if it's your chemistry, if it's in your family history, if it's been part of your life before, right. it shouldn't surprise us when it comes up again. Um, and I personally do have a, a family history and a personal history with kind of fluctuating mood and, and being low. And it was like the first six weeks were awesome. And then kind of week seven, week eight, I just started to realize I'm feeling like low. Like I'm really? feeling like I need to talk about this more. I need more support. I need to really um, humble myself again because mm. that's often what it feels like to get help in mental health world and realize like, oh, yeah, I'm a mental health therapist. I'm a big advocate for this. But I myself still need yes. the community care, the self-care, and I just need to talk about it. So that has been huge. And I'm still wading into it. And it's just, again, I think this beautiful thing that I love to hold together. Like when I say you can be a Christian and still um, have mental health concerns, you can be a mother who loves your baby to pieces. And I think my kid is the most incredible thing in my life. And at the same time, you can be sleep deprived and low and frustrated um, and just in like a haze of kind of that mom brain. And I think there's like a level of parenting that's like, that's just what everyone's going through. But there is a trap door that once you open it and kind of go down the rabbit hole, where you know it is mental health stuff again and you really do need to realize that this is a season of life where you're very vulnerable and um, most moms really don't feel like they're allowed to be vulnerable it's like Mm. I have to be tougher I need to look awesome and (laughs) I had this day where I was like why am I trying to make mothering look easy to everybody I feel like everyone kept being like you have such an easy kid look at you in a restaurant we we like took our baby to girl in the goat um, and she like slept the whole way through dinner and everyone was like oh this is just such an incredible kid like and the whole time I was thinking 
thinking, why am I trying to perpetuate right. the image that this was easy and that I didn't have to spend all day planning <laughs> for this like one hour of quiet. Right. Um, and so I just, I just want to plug that right now. And if you're a mom who at all like me is just new to this first time mom, um, just grace upon grace upon grace and yes. talk about it as much as possible. I'm talking about it on the radio because I'm just like, I really uh, needed to be honest with myself yeah. that this is a vulnerable time. Well, and I, I, want, I really do want to say thank you for sharing that because yeah. I know that that's no small task and it's been one of the greatest joys of my life to become a parent and see yeah. my wife become just this incredible mom mm-hmm. but also share honestly about like, yeah. there are days that it's way harder than any of these moms totally. are really letting on. So for you to share that oh. I think is massively significant and i yeah go ahead oh no there's this uh like theological concept i'm wrestling with because i have to do something with my mind while like we're just doing naps and like dishes and stuff (laughs) and it's kind of this idea that you know becoming a parent is like preparing to sacrifice on a deeper level Mm. and i think you know single married parent you know it can happen in a lot of different ways but i used to think you know oh i'm pregnant and this is preparing me to you know have a fuller life a happier life and those things are true but ultimately it's been this like almost uh, kind of like the passion like walking with christ towards the cross and realizing Mm. that the end goal of this is not that my child's going to make me feel awesome it's that i'm going to learn how to sacrifice even more um and that's kind of what marriage was like learning how to lay my life down for my husband but now it's like i lay it down for my child Mm. and it's way harder than for my spouse because he can say thank you after that's I right, do something right. and I'm like okay that was sacrificial but I still feel this like romance connection right, I get the whereas, dopamine in the brain exactly <laughs> whereas uh, you can do everything right with your kid take great care of them all day and they can still be screaming in the middle of the night oh, or uh, my child is very slow to social smile so she's very serious right now and I keep being like do you want to smile for me do you want to reward me for all the things I just did oh, and wow. there's been these moments where I felt um, actually like the purpose of this season is to prepare to sacrifice and not to lose everything that I am and who I am, but like Christ to lay down my life so that the most beautiful thing, new life can be born. And and that's a big identity wrestling for mothers. Who am I now that I'm a mother? Does that mean that I've lost all these things before? Um, No, but there is a laying down and I'm really going to press into that. I can tell in her lifetime, how do I sacrifice even more as her mother? Goodness, what? What a way to end this hour. Jenna, it has been a joy and a delight, and I want to bookend my request. Please come back. <laughs> I would love to. We would love to have you back on the show. Thank you. Again, I cannot encourage you enough. Go to her website, jennaperine.com. There's some free resources there. Can they contact you through the website, too, if they have questions? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Okay, perfect. jennaperine.com. Can't encourage you enough. Thank you so much for joining us today. What a gift you've been to our audience. You've been Thanks, listening to you. The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs> It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. And my mystery guest is literally fist pumping in the air right now. (laughs) Love the intro, man. It's my- <laughs> oh, you just had to start on that leg. We are off to such a strong start. Oh. An hour two of the common good. You may have noticed that's not Brian Fromm. He's somewhere. I don't know. I don't know where he is. But that other voice, though, that you're hearing is my friend Jason Pfeffer. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, one of the things I've been doing, rather than kind of just read your bio for mm, you, yeah. 
I'm going to ask you just to introduce yourself in whatever fashion you want to, by the way. So you can be as detailed or vulnerable or professional as you want to be. Great. I'm just going to read my body. <laughs> Jason is a, no, I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I am a pastor, a teacher. Uh, I lead a ministry, a small ministry at Willow Creek Church called The Practice. I like to consider myself an evangelist for spiritual formation, for the spiritual disciplines. Love that. Um, I believe that my calling is to be an evangelist for this journey of following Jesus, keeping Mm. company with him in our everyday lives so that we can be formed by Jesus to be like Jesus. Dang. Um, So that's, yeah, that's me. That's a killer summary. There we go. Okay, and before I forget, before the practice, you had a website committed to that idea, didn't you? Is that yeah. still even functional? I should have asked you this before. <laughs> no, Here, the website. Yeah, it's it's there, and because of my work with the practice, it's I can't <laughs> think of the last time I I actually uh, contributed to my own website. Yeah, it's called beingdisciples.com. Hmm. Um, the idea is that we we need to stop practicing discipleship hmm. and start being disciples. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah. All right, so tell me about your role at the practice then. First off, and I can't assume that everyone even knows what it is, to be honest. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. And then what do you do there? Yeah, well, it's it's always funny to me to talk about the practice because I talk about it with a great deal of passion and love. Yeah. Um, and I didn't create any of it, right? Right, right. It was uh, created by a guy named Aaron Nequist. If you want to read the story of the beginning of the practice, there's a wonderful book called The Eternal Current that Aaron wrote. So good. It is so good. And it, it tells it tells the story of the practice, how it got started and why. But essentially, it, 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 was, it started as an experiment to say, how can we, uh, how can we actually help people follow Jesus? Hmm. How can we put how can we become the kinds of people who can put Jesus's teaching Mm. into action? I think we have a tendency in the church to teach what Jesus said Mm -hmm. and we'll expound on it. And all of this is wonderful. I just make that caveat. Like I, I believe in teaching. It's really, really important. Um, But we often spend 45 minutes teaching that Jesus said that we should love our neighbors, right. right? And we'll teach through the story of the Good Samaritan, who's my neighbor. And and then at the very end, we say, so this week, <laughs> right. go and love your neighbor right. with a complete disregard of the fact that we, we can't do it mm. on our own. Right. We have to be formed into the kinds of people who can love our neighbors. Right. And so in the practice, we try to not only teach, teaching is a part of what we do, but it's a practice-based gathering, which means yeah. instead of 45 minutes of teaching, that 45-minute segment is broken up maybe 20 minutes of teaching hmm. and about 25 minutes of practice. Love it. So we would say, yes, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's dig into the hmm. parable of the Good Samaritan. Like, te- again, teaching is really, really important. But then let's say what particular practice might help us mm. to love our neighbors really well. Right. And we will engage in that practice together as a community. And then that always leads us to the communion table. So right. one of the other things I love about the practice is we are literally centered on Christ. The mm. communion table is in the middle of the room and right. we are seated in the round. Yes. So we're literally centered on the table that represents Christ's presence, that reminds us of Jesus being with us That's because so the, again, the, when we talk about the practice, it's we're cultivating a sacred space. 
a space for us to connect with the presence of God that's already in our midst, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then learn the practices that mm. help us to connect with the presence of God in our everyday life. That's because so that's how we're formed. That's right. To be able to to be the kinds of people who can do what Jesus taught us to do. Which seems so obvious. Like I meet with pastors all the time that I think that's what they want for their community. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Why do you think it's so difficult for us to actually get to a place where we're doing the types of things that you guys are doing? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I think it's, we, man, there are so many ways we could go with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the thing that I'm thinking about the most these days is how uh, we we have believed the idea that knowledge transforms us. Right. That if I know the right things, if I believe the right things, that will lead right. to the right action. Right. And of, again, knowledge is really important. Yes. Believe, like good theology is deeply important. Amen. But simply believing the right things does not change our behavior, right? I mean, I think right. about you think about how we have consistently said education is the answer, and yet mm. we continue to grow and progress in education, and yet we continue to see our values and our, like, frankly, the, the, our ethics and morality right. decline. And there's there's a gap here yes. that that can't be filled with more knowledge better teaching, right? right? And, yep. and so that, so I think that's, that's a part of it for sure. And I think the better teaching piece is, is something that I feel a lot of gravity around because I'm a teacher. So I, I, right, I, me too. I yeah. love teaching. Yep. I think it's important. It's valuable. Mm-hmm. I also feel like I meet countless people who have left the church because like they'll say things like I sat under great teaching for a mm-hmm. long time and nothing really actually changed. Yeah. So I assumed either the church was a fraud or the Jesus thing wasn't real. So I just bailed. Yeah. Have you experienced some of that where people are like, yeah, nothing, I didn't see any formation happen, so yeah. I went somewhere else or I figured something else out or yep. fill, in, fill in their own blank? Yeah, or you, you, I've experienced pastors, people who are mm. leaders in churches who say, this teaching thing isn't changing us, so we're actually not going to have any teaching in our churches. Oh, interesting. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second, I love it. There's a professor in my, when I was in grad school said, you know, for 2,000 years, right. The church has included teaching. Yes. We might not want to just throw that out, right? Like we right. might want to – there's something valuable here. If if our teaching isn't forming us, isn't resulting mm. in a different kind of – if it's not producing fruit. Right. Let's use Jesus' words for a yes. minute, right? right? Right. If it's not producing fruit, then maybe it's not the teaching, but maybe there's something in the way yeah. we're doing it. That's so good. I was just listening to John Mark Comer, and oh, they, yeah. they pretty much summarize it by be with Jesus, mm-hmm. become like Jesus, yep. do what Jesus did. Yeah. And I remember seeing that thinking, first off, why did I think of that? <laughs> but secondly, though, it was like the do what Jesus did part mm-hmm. was something that, and again, I, I am so grateful for the church I grew up in, but I yeah. like never really heard much about that yeah. piece. Yep. And maybe I did, and I just wasn't paying attention, and I didn't have ears yeah. to hear, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But that, I feel like that's where... A lot of people in our churches are like, when do we start doing the stuff? Mm-hmm. When do mm-hmm. I actually start to see my heart not hate my enemy so much? When do yeah. I start to like see the cracks in unforgiveness mm-hmm. start to burst forth like some healing and truth? And it feels like yeah. you guys are creating this laboratory where people are able to not just dip a toe in the waters, but yeah. like, what's the phrase? The unforced rhythms of grace, yeah. right? Just right. get in yep. the water, get in the water and learn to swim. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful invitation. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious and we'll, you're going to stick around the entire hour. So we got so many more questions about the practice, about your role 
also as a spiritual director. That's yeah. a phrase that a lot of people maybe yeah. aren't familiar with. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is gallivanting somewhere. But you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get your podcast. If you're a podcaster, we really do appreciate likes, subscribes, reviews, if that's how that works. I'm really not a good podcast person <laughs> at all. I think you can share them, but I don't know how to even coach you to do that. So either way, we're grateful for you. But in Brian's absence, though, we've had just a whole slew of amazing guests. Jason, you are no exception. And I'm so grateful, <laughs> honestly, for you taking the time to be here with yeah. us, share your wisdom in your heart. You're somebody, could I just like fanboy out a little bit i've admired oh, you from a distance for so long and you actually helped write on some this isn't creepy at all it's true. By the way. <laughs> and i'm just staring at him in the corner you guys can't see but i have like a trench coat oh. on and a fedora uh that part's true but you you helped write even for some of the beauty and the common stuff mm-hmm. that we were doing yeah. and i think you at the practice to me just makes so much sense like i'm grateful oh, thank you. that we're in the same kind of geographic space that i get to learn even from a distance from you and uh, I'd love to learn more about, because this is something that I've been really wrestling with currently, h- how actually do people change? Like mm-hmm. I was listening to, I think it was a Jim Collins podcast or something, and it was sort of like, what is what is the thing that gets you up in the morning? And I think mm-hmm. that's one of those questions that I'm like, I think that might be it. Yeah. How do people change? And the practice seems to be asking, I think, some of the best questions. And you had been even before the practice. Sure. What What would you say to that question, particularly when it comes to like spiritual formation or Christo formation, like how do we actually become more like Jesus and not just continue to have like an intellectual ascent and then attend an event every Sunday? Like what does that look like practically, do you think? Yeah, for me, it it centers on the presence of Jesus. Hmm. And it's moving away from the idea that our spiritual life revolves around an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, uh, maybe Wednesday night, maybe in a small group. Mm-hmm. Or even in the you know, 15, 20 minutes of reading scripture and praying in the morning or the evening, right? That our whole lives mm. are sacred, right? We read all throughout scripture that God is always with us, right? right? Psalm 139, if I go to the highest heights, to the deepest depths, even, yes. there, you're with, yes. even there your right hand guides me. Jesus promises in the very last conversation with his followers before he ascends into heaven, mm. I will be with you Always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of the world. Right. Uh, Paul says in Acts 17, in God we live and move and have our being. Have I kind of sold it enough, right? Like (laughs) scripture teaches us that we are always in God's presence. Mm. And yet we have this tendency to live as if there are sacred moments. Yeah. And then there are secular moments. Right. And I mean, I even think of, I did youth ministry for three years right out of my undergrad. And I remember teaching the students that uh, they needed a daily quiet time to recharge their batteries. Hmm. And I even used the language at one point, I think of, it's like reaching, dipping your, cupping and cupping your hands and reaching into a bucket of water Hmm. and carry and like Jesus is the water. And I'm going to carry as much of Jesus with me into my everyday life. But of course he's, he's (laughs) seeping out between my fingers. Jesus, where are you going? So I have to return back regularly. Right. But the idea, like when you carry (laughs) that out to its conclusion, it's I'm somehow bringing God into my everyday life, but it's ignoring the fact that scripture teaches us God is already there. Yes. 
And so how do we live as if we are actually with God in our everyday lives? That's right. Right, that, that passage from uh, Matthew 11 and the, the message paraphrase, right, of the unforced rhythms of grace, right. grace passage, right? Keep company with me. Walk mm. with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it, Jesus says. That's so good. Like, and, that's, and that's not... That's not walk with me on Sunday morning. Right, right. Right? That's walk with me in your life. Mm. And so if we begin to realize that God is with us mm. every single moment of the day, if we begin to actually live as if that's true, right. every single moment becomes an opportunity for formation. Right. Every single moment mm is pregnant with an opportunity for us to be formed more and more in Christ's likeness. That's good. And and that's where the spiritual practices come in because the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices help us to become more and more aware of God's presence, Hmm. both in the moment and in our everyday life. That's right. And so when we grow in in awareness of God's presence, that's when God is working and forming us. I mean, the, the, the mm. short answer, I was, I was going to just make a joke when you said, how, you know, how are we formed? I was just going to say, Jesus, next question. I mean, because really that's, I mean, that's it. Right, right. right. Like we're formed, like God, we are formed by God. We don't do it ourselves. It's that's not right. behavior management. Right. And, and that's the role of the disciplines, the, mm. the practices. The practices help us to live more fully in God's presence. And I think when we understand the spiritual practices that way, that actually opens them up, right? Right. I've found when I talk about spiritual practices, people think I'm talking about fasting yes. and, uh, you know, 24-hour prayer. And, <laughs> right. and they have to say it in that voice, of course, <laughs> right, but very right, pious. Right, very... <laughs> I'm contemplative, right? We, like, we, we think of these big, lofty practices, mm. and, and we we begin to communicate that this is just for more advanced right. people, right? More, These are the varsity Christians. Yeah, <laughs> yes, the varsity Christians, exactly. And yes, that's for those folks. But the reality is, hmm. if a spiritual practice is anything that makes us more aware of God's presence, both in the moment and in our everyday life, then suddenly that opens wide the defin- the what actually is a that's spiritual right. practice. That's so right. I... I have a practice, a spiritual practice that I like to call stargazing. Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds pagan. Go for it. <laughs> I, I cannot look at a night sky full of stars mm. without being moved to a place of awe yes. and wonder. I can't look at the night sky and go and not think this universe is incredible and it's huge right and i am tiny i mean there's notes of psalm 8 in this right like i'm so tiny and Mm. insignificant in the context of this great cosmos and yet god's thoughts about me are more numerous than the grains of sand on the earth wow yeah so simply stargazing Mm -hmm reminds me of God's presence, connects me with the presence of God. Mm. It's a spiritual practice that's so good. for me. See, and that's actually a lot of the dream behind even the name of the show. The, the common piece is actually really a common theme yeah. in my life in pursuit that we have these mountaintop moments. And those, of course, are just as fine, of right? Yeah. The mountaintop or the great – any of the, mm-hmm. I'm not anti-conference, I'm not any yeah. of those things. But most of us live 99.9% of our lives in these common spaces. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you're talking about is – Let's elevate all of that 
yeah. to see as sacred, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's not just the mountaintops that are right. sacred, but right. the valleys it's, are exact, sacred exactly. too, right? I know you had a conversation with Jenna and spent some time talking about lament. Yes. We learn more. We grow in Christlikeness more in the difficult times right. than we do in the successes and the joys. And Agreed. I'm, I mean, I'm the kind of personality that absolutely loves the highs and the successes and absolutely does everything I can to avoid <laughs> the valleys. So are you a seven? Are you a seven? I'm a seven. You yeah. are. I, I didn't know if people were familiar with the Enneagrams. I didn't want to like jump in. I'm a seven. Um, yes. <laughs> like he's breaking his attractiveness. I don't understand. Yes. I'm a seven. Well, that's, uh, you know, um, <laughs> no, but I, but I, I realize over the course yeah. of my life that in those darkest moments, mm. When I lean into God, like those are some of the most formational. Like, if if I'm not leaning into God in the midst of pain and brokenness, yeah. how can I really know that God loves me? Wow, right? Yeah, like those are the places. Like when you are broken and at the end of yourself, mm. and God meets you even there. Yep, that's when you know. Like that's when you begin to go. Holy cow. Yeah. Like God's love isn't just this theoretical knowledge, but it is actually true. And I know it. Wow. Like not know it in my head, but right. I know it in my being. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. the perfect tease then, because I want to ask you more about that coming up next. How yep. do we move from this intellectual ascent, which again, we're both saying mm-hmm. is good. Yep. yep. How do we move then from this deeply experiential embodiment yeah. of what is actually true about us in the universe? And, you know, small questions yeah. like that. <laughs> That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And my ears are bleeding now. How are your ears, ears okay? I, I, what? That's good. <laughs> That music is coming in so hot. Hopefully that's okay for the rest of you listening. You didn't have to just rip your headphones out. Either way, uh, my name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but I think he's camping or he's on the lamb or something. I can't. He's hunting unicorns, I think. Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, so he yeah. told you, but he didn't tell me. That makes that makes a lot of sense. That other voice you're hearing, though, is my friend Jason Pfeffer, who leads uh, The Practice, which means at Willow Creek. Uh, he also is a spiritual director, a writer, a pastor, a disciple maker, an all around good guy. Good beard grower, by the way. Mm. You have a, I don't think you had a beard last time I saw you. Maybe not. It's That's not very possible. I'm, it's not quite on as on point as your. No, beard you're game. being modest. I mean, My goodness, yours uh, comes in like a like a full grown man, and mine comes in like a prepubescent child. Yours, I mean. I don't even know. Everyone needs to take my word for it. Either way, so what we had just been talking about, beautifully, by the way, is this idea that God desires, I think, to form us in all aspects of life, not just for an hour on Sunday mornings and not just for sort of the varsity elite either. Yeah, this is yeah. this is part of the call of what it means to become like Jesus. And you sort of landed with this idea of moving from just a neurological, intellectual ascent to mm-hmm. like full-life transformation. I remember hearing Father Richard War say um, – God's presence isn't what's lacking. What's lacking is our awareness. Yeah. So often we just go about our lives, even with the best of intentions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with no real sense that God is actually in the work of like forming us right here and now. Yeah. How do you help people move from a purely like knowledge-based religion mm-hmm. to something deeper than that? Yeah, I mean, I would start with saying I I mean I don't mean this to be in a, to, to respond in a challenging sort of way, but like <laughs> it I mean, we don't move anybody, hmm. right? I mean, it's it's the Holy Spirit. Right. I think it's 
it's helping people to notice when God is inviting them into those deeper That's spaces, right? Like when, like, how do we know that God is moving us away from intellectual ascent, which it generally is early stages of mm. faith, right? I mean, early course, stages, right. we begin with, yes, this is the stuff that I'm supposed to do. This is, I'm trusting you because I don't know, I'm brand new to this thing. So mm. you're telling me that this is the way, this is how I should interpret this passage. Uh, this is what's true of the Christian life. Mm. And, and again, all of that's wonderful and good in early stages of faith. Right. But how do we move beyond that? Mm. When we begin to notice that God is inviting us into those deeper spaces. And I think you know, the easy answer, it's not easy, but the the simple response to that is, I mean, it's often pain. Mm. Like that journey from our head into a whole life experience, that inward journey yes. often begins with pain. Wow. Um, but I think even, even in the absence of that, one of the things I would say is it's helping people to notice their emotions. Mm. We, for some reason, and I, I don't know why, but for some reason in the church, we have a, maybe a skepticism of our emotions yeah. or a distrust of our emotions. I think that's and, right. Yeah. And, and when we don't acknowledge our emotions, we're really just, I, I heard it on the radio over here. Like mm. someone was talking about, uh, um, Clayton Kershaw's explosion yesterday, yeah, right, right? And right. how uh, hopefully, you know, eventually he'll get past it and he'll, you know, he'll stuff that memory down deep somewhere and, you know, That's hopefully never to come out again. And wow. you just go, well, I mean, the reality is he <laughs> yes. will stuff it down and it will come out. It will, yes. It will come out. And, and if we can help people to recognize their emotions, to notice them. Right. And to bring them into the presence of God. And sometimes those emotions are positive. I don't want to make the mistake of sounding it's all negative, right? right? right. I mean, sometimes it is negative. Like, that made me angry, that made me sad, that mm. hurt, mm. that disappointed me. Those are important to bring into God's presence, right? right? That, that's grieving, Yes, right? right. Grieving is, my spiritual director once said, uh, grieving is simply allowing ourselves to feel the emotions that arise when they do mm. in the presence of God and others. That's so good. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And, and so there's there's the grieving side and then the other side sometimes things bring us great joy like i mentioned you know looking at the stars right. this this summer we were in colorado and uh one night i was like you know what let's let's not put the kids to bed like let's keep them up <laughs> when the sun goes down let's drive up to the pass hmm. let's get up to 14,000 feet or it's probably 12,000 feet i think the pass right <laughs> i was going to call you on that but yeah thanks yeah, so that's correct <laughs> <laughs> so we, let's get up there and and let's just look at the stars yeah and watching my 9 year old son go oh, like as he's never seen right, stars right. like this before and i mean the milky way is just so apparent and we're mm. just watching it was near the Persides meteor shower so we're just watching shooting stars wow. left and right and we're just sitting there in awe and noticing the joy that's yeah. arising in that moment and allowing myself to feel that joy in the presence of God. Wow. And that's where, like, that turns into worship. Yeah, right? right. That turns into, God, this is amazing. Right. I can't, like, I can't imagine the, the creativity and the incredible, the fact that you want to share this with us oh, is wow. amazing. And, and to watch our son mm. suddenly go, 
I love nature. Yeah. I, this he goes. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. He and said that he did, and, and I went. I hope not. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I hope we're gonna do this again sometime. Yes. Yes. Wow. And 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 again, that leads to worship. Yeah. And so when we begin to notice our emotions and we begin to bring those into the presence of God, that begins to open us up to our whole selves. Right. It begins to take us beyond the head. And certainly it's not just, right? I mean, the the uh, the the pretty ancient construct of head, heart, and gut, or head, heart, right. and body, right? right. Um, we begin to notice the mm. whole our whole bodies, our whole selves. Yes. And, it, and it begins to lead us to a place of unity and integration and that's really good. I actually had a very similar experience, not quite as dramatic, but my my oldest is only two, and we were out somewhere. We ended up staying accidentally too late, so it had gotten dark. Yeah. And when I got him out of the van, he made the same, <gasps> and looked up at the sky, and I was like, what is wrong with my son right now? And it dawned on me, he's never seen the night sky, because yeah. he he'd he's never seen bed. it, yeah. and it was this instantaneous awe, and one, <laughs> I'll start crying if I, start, if I talk about it too much, yeah. but like experiencing wonder and awe through the eyes of my kids... Oh. They, they're not having to be coached into it. It's right, just this right. visceral present life. Yes. Wow, look at this thing. They haven't learned to shut it off yet. Right, exactly. Yes. Exactly, which is part of what, unfortunately, a lot of adulthood is. It's like beat mm-hmm. wonder and joy and awe out of us because that's – and then it sort of masquerades as wisdom mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Like yep. in the church, I often feel like what we call wisdom is actually more like cowardice mm. or or callousness. Interesting. I'm just trying to be wise. Say more about that. I don't think I should. I think I might get in trouble if I keep leaning into that. But what I love about the practice, though, is it's giving voice to these things, and clearly people are resonating with them. Mm-hmm. And you have people all the time who come from very different disciplines, very yeah. different backgrounds, mm-hmm. and I imagine are saying, I've never experienced this before. Yeah. And it's resonating with people. Yeah. And I, man, I, I, I mean, thankfully, you're going to stick around for a whole lot longer. But yeah. could you say, like, in 30 seconds or less, though, what is it about even just creating those spaces for wonder and awe that you think is so transformative? Why is it resonating so deeply right now, do you think? Well, I think one of the reasons why what we do in the practice, I think, is resonating people is they, they don't have space for it. Hmm. In their like anywhere else in their life, yeah, right. Yeah, and there's something. there's also something to uh, what we're doing that's so different from what you're used to. Right. There's, there's something about... Um, there's something about experiencing something different or maybe mm-hmm. even the same but from a different angle. Oh, that's good. That creates kind of a disequilibrium. Yeah. And there is something – I mean, frankly, this is this is why I think pain is so valuable in the spiritual journey. That disequilibrium – there's something about disequilibrium that opens us up to the presence of God. That's good. Yeah. So that maybe is almost something that we could even learn to pursue better. I think mm-hmm. we're often pursuing quite the opposite. Yeah. Security yep. and stability. Yep. And part of what you're saying is disequilibrium. That's sort of the laboratory where we actually are formed, actually. Yeah. And I would say, I would say, pers- um, probably not pursue it. Cause, okay. Because, right, I mean, um, I don't know that we want to pursue. Well, if we're talking about pain. Oh, okay. That's we don't want to pursue pain. Right. right. I mean, right. the reality is life, life will bring pain. That's right. We don't have to pursue That's it. That's a great point. Right? But what do we do pain. in it, though? Yeah. But it's to not avoid disequilibrium, to not, um, how about this, to not avoid things that are uncomfortable. That's really good. And to not avoid things that, we, that are new. Yes. To us. Yes. And to be discerning mm-hmm. in it, right? To em- engage something that's new in a discerning way. Right. Uh, is this right? Yes. I don't know. Right. But, but, to, but to approach it with curiosity. That's good. Rather than 
immediate skepticism and yes. raising up our walls. That's great. All right, I'm going to ask you about that coming up next then. Curiosity and the openness to the possibility that God wants to do something new in our lives. That's what I'm going to ask you. Coming up next with Jason Pfeffer here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I mean, I don't mean to out him, but like this music came on and Jason winked right at me. It was... <laughs> I, I wish I could say it was uncomfortable, but it wasn't. It felt comforting and warm, and I feel at home. Thanks for that. This was maybe you're the first guest to ever wink at me. Actually, that you might own that very prestigious title. <laughs> A little look behind the curtain, folks. None of that's true. None of that actually happened. <laughs> uh, well, it's my word against yours, and I guess you are a spiritual director, though. I just have pastor, so <laughs> you you win in that battle. All right. So before I ask my question. I imagine at this point in the show, people are like, where can I learn more about what you do and what you're doing? Yeah. Just anywhere people can go, websites, emails, home addresses, phone numbers, yeah. any of that, feel free to give that. Yeah, my uh, social security number is three. <laughs> no. um, my, so the, we mentioned my website earlier, beingdisciples.com. Um, I've got some writings there, some resources to help practice. Great resources, by the way. They really oh, thank are. You. They thank really you. I appreciate are. that. And then uh, the Practice Tribe. It's Practice Tribe, not the practice. So oh, okay. Practicetribe.com uh, is the practices website, and you can find our schedule there. We meet Sunday nights at 6 p.m. I'd love anybody to show up. I mean, it's we have folks from – we have people who don't attend Willow who come to really? practice. They attend another church on Sunday morning and then love come to that. practice Sunday nights. So everybody's welcome. Yeah. And it's just to help it's – in the, it's in the chapel, right? Yep. So yes. it's Sunday nights at what time? 6 p.m. In the chapel at Willow Creek. In the chapel. We have child care available. It's you not do. children's church. Yeah, it's not children's church, but oh, it is, it's nice. child care. Yep. That's fantastic. Yep. So up to fifth grade. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so this is what we were talking about a little earlier, and I want to pick your brain about it. Yeah. This idea of the spiritual act of curiosity. Mm-hmm. I feel like so often curiosity in some circles is reserved for children. Mm-hmm. We expect kids to be curious. And we expect adults to be certain, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I think of Peter and sin of certainty. That like mm-hmm. changed my life. What is it about curiosity that in your mind is so necessary and so valuable? And how do we regain some of that curiosity in a life wow. that is just so crammed full of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, to me, the value of curiosity is understanding that we don't have it all figured out. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's realizing that I don't actually have all the answers mm. and it, it's, being okay hmm. with that. You know, I think some people, when they, when they come across a moment where they realize they don't have all the answers, yeah. like it leads to a breakdown, right? Because oh, right. we're, we're all of a sudden I've lived with this idea that I have to have all the answers and I thought I did. And hmm. now I don't. And what in the world, like your, your world right. crumbles at that point. That's so I think point. for us to begin with a sense of it's okay yeah. to not have all the answers, right? Like doubt, mm-hmm. doubt is actually okay. Yes. Like you don't have to be certain about everything. That's I mean, right. look just sometime read the gospels and see how many yes. times the Jesus looks at the disciples and he's like, "Seriously? <laughs> what are you doing?" Like, man? "What? I mean, <laughs> what? Come on. I mean, how long have we been together now? Right. What what have you seen me do? I mean, what?" Right. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, even even Thomas, right? Yep. Poor guy, doubting I know. Thomas. And he get forever associated forever with doubt, right? Yeah, right? But I mean, what Jesus didn't chastise him for mm-hmm. his doubt. That's good. Like, put your hand on my side. Put your hand, your fingers in my right, wounds. Right, right. So I think that's okay. Right. But being curious leads us to being open. Mm. 
And I think realizing, I think the other part of this is when we think we have it all figured out, how big is our God if we think God is, we can figure God out. Right, right. right? And so being open, mm. being curious, is saying, well, what if, what if God is actually bigger than I think? What a novel idea. Yeah. And I love, I, and I can't remember who said it. I don't know if it was C.S. Lewis or Chesterton or who, but um, they said that God is the great iconoclast, mm-hmm. right? That we, we, because we are limited humans, we create an image of God as best we can. Right. And if we are serious about following God, if we're serious about living in his presence, then eventually mm-hmm. God is going to come by and break that image. Right. And we're going to go, whoa, God is so much bigger. <laughs> yes, right. And so we build a new image that's bigger. <laughs> but, it's, but it's okay. Like, like we have to, right? Yes, like right. This, this, is, this is where we are as limited humans. That's right. And so, I mean, I would ask, where might your image of God be too small? Oof, that's a good question. Like where might God in this season of your life, like where might God be inviting you yes. to be open and curious about a bigger picture of God? That's a great question. I think uh, maybe it's Frederick Buechner. He said, doubt is like the ants in the pants of faith. I remember reading that like as a 19-year-old being like, that's <laughs> Sounds the best like definition Buechner. of it. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I later, I think it was Keller who said, doubt is like antibodies. Yeah. Like we, it's actually like a necessary part of this whole journey. Yeah. And you're also a leader though. I'm wondering, is there an added element of struggle in your mind that like, well, I, all adults love to feel certain, mm-hmm. but leaders in particular feel like I need to be certain mm-hmm. on behalf of my community. Do you feel an extra weight to like pursue curiosity or how do you, how do you fight against that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, see, I, I don't think anyone would ever accuse me of thinking too highly of myself. Mm. Um, and I, and I don't say that, that, that really, that sounded prideful. <laughs> How about I don't that? Think so. No, no. Okay. I, I mean, my, my greater struggle is, is to like, I struggle with believing that I'm not worthy, that I'm, that I am Got not it. worth it, right. that I don't have value. So, right. um, so because of that, Certainly, sometimes it leads me to project as if I've got it all figured got it, out. Got it, yeah. Um, but as I've as I've grown and as I've leaned more and more into God in mm. that space, it's led me to to be way more open to the input of others. Yes, right. And and so I don't feel like I have it all figured out. And even and frankly, even stepping into this role, you know, Aaron Nequist started the practice, right. And you know, I come in, I think, two years into the practice. I'd mm. been a part of the community, but I come in to lead it. And I'm, I'm partnering with Aaron for a year before he transitioned off and ultimately mm-hmm. moved to New York. But um, to come into this thing and to feel like I'm handed this beautiful thing right. that I had nothing to do with building. Right. And it, le- and it, and, and it just leaves me going like, I love this as much as you guys do because this has been life to me. Right. And so it leads me to this place of like, I didn't create this. Mm. I don't have this pride around it. Mm. Um, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm worried that people are going to think that I'm overly prideful because I talk about how great it is and how much I love it. <laughs> but it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I'm talking about it because I've experienced, I've experienced it like you, yes, like, right. like I, I feel more connected to the people in our community than I do to Aaron in, wow. in relationship to the practice because of, because I've experienced it like That's that. So, good. so 
Um, so I don't know if that was a great answer to your it's question great, or if I answered it at all, answer. really. No, you did. And I just want to say out loud, too, I think you're the perfect guy for it. Oh, thanks, I man. really, I really mean that. that. And the oh, practice thanks. has meant a lot to me, and I'm just so grateful for you and your wisdom. I want to kind of put you on the spot yeah. in like the 30 seconds we have left. Yeah, 18 seconds. Would you? Well, we can, <laughs> we can fudge that a little bit. <laughs> I've never asked a guest to do this. I feel compelled to oh, ask boy. you, though. Would yeah. you end the show with giving some sort of benediction, oh, some wow. sort of hope to yeah. the person listening who's feeling... Encourage, yeah. discourage, somewhere in between. Just, just send us out with a blessing. Yeah. Um, so if you're not driving, <laughs> would you hold your hands out okay. to receive a blessing? Yeah. If you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. Smart. Right? And it's, it's, it's good. Um, don't ask Jesus to take the wheel. Cause that, <laughs> you know, okay. Um, yeah. If you would hold your hands out and, and maybe, even, maybe even look up hmm. and raise your, your face to God. And may you walk with Jesus in your everyday life. May you know the depth of God's loving presence with you Mm. as you experience the joys and the trials of life. And may you seek to live more and more fully in communion with God so that you might be formed by Jesus to be like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jason Pfeffer, thank you so much, man, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. What a a joy. Please come back sometime. I will. I love that, man. That's been Jason Pfeffer here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.